Today on episode number 437 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, Reviving Our Own Curiosity with Lindsay Keeley. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak, and this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. Lindsay Keeley is an instructor of education and human development and family sciences at Oregon State University. Lindsay provides professional development to teaching faculty in higher education to reignite their passion for teaching and equip them with best practices in student engagement. She is the author of Positive Choices, Social and Emotional Learning, and the host of the Positive Choices podcast. Lindsay earned a Bachelor's of Science in Human Development and Family Sciences with an emphasis in child development and holds a Master's of Arts in Teaching. Her university work, as well as her experience coaching families and teachers, helped her craft a curriculum that integrates interpersonal neurobiology, trauma-responsive practices, and problem-solving to help children thrive. Lindsay Keeley, welcome to Teaching in Higher Ed. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I have had so many different guests from a myriad of disciplines, but not too many who have the privilege of teaching, or at least teaching the people who teach the real, real little ones. What are one or two things that come to mind for you about big differences between teaching those very littles and those of us that have a few more years on us? That's a great question. You know, I think something that I often see comes down to mindset. And I know there's a lot of research surrounding growth mindset with Carol Dweck, but I've noticed when I've worked with younger students, those who are in elementary school, middle school, they tend to have more of a growth mindset. They have that belief that they can learn anything, they can do anything. And then, which is really exciting to capitalize on that and just expand that growth mindset. And then in my experience working with undergraduate and then graduate students, I found that sometimes they'll fall into more of a fixed mindset. Like, you know, I have to get this grade. And if I don't, that will reflect poorly. And so maybe a little more perfectionism I see on that end, but, you know, across the, across the continuum, it's so wonderful to work with humans who are trying to learn and improve themselves. I've definitely noticed that too. And I have, we have a daughter who right now is eight. And one thing that I've been trying to watch with her is that I definitely see both her and her brother having that growth mindset. But I had read recently somewhere about being careful not to try to not to control because they do still get frustrated. And so I was trying to teach her how to do a ponytail (laughs) the other day. And, you know, she was getting really frustrated by that. But and so I thought like, okay, well, I was just I was trying to focus on my own things I was trying to attend to at that exact moment. And so I thought she was ready to give up for the day. You know, we were we were done for the day. So I said, okay, did you want to stop and try again another day? Or did you want to keep trying? And she wanted to keep trying, but also just keep griping about it while she went. So yes, the growth mindset is there. But I do think that desirable difficulties that gets talked about in the literature, we do still need to let our learners of all ages experience that frustration and not try to protect them from it. I'm lecturing to myself now. Can you tell? (laughs) 
Yeah, all research is me search, right? Yes. I feel like I'm constantly doing that. And how beautiful that you took that moment with the ponytail and you're being mindful and, and really, you know, zoning in on what are you, how, what kind of coaching are you doing? So that's so awesome. Something that I've thought of is, you know, the difference between productive struggle and healthy striving versus, you know, the, the opposite, which can be that perfectionism. And so something that Renee Brown talks about, and I know you and I connected before about how we're both big fans of her and big her research. Fans. She really describes the two as being different. So if you have more of a curiosity mindset, then you come to the table saying, what can I learn from this experience? But then if you have more of a, a perfectionistic mindset, your focus is on what will they think of me, right? So curiosity is learning focused. And then the perfectionism is other, what are they thinking of me? And so that's something that I really try to hit home on the first day of all, all my classes, whether it's undergraduate or graduate classes, I just give all of my students permission to be curious and to really let go of any of those, any of that perfectionism and, and give them space for that. So I think that's something that I also am practicing myself. <laughs> that can be such a hard thing because so many of our contexts that we we ended up in, in our research, it really does sort of instill that perfectionism. And if you can, if you can persist through it, you know, and not realizing kind of the baggage that we can sometimes hand down to the next generation of people coming up through our academic programs, it's so difficult for some people to break through that. And I've even found my own failures as being some of the greatest gifts that I can give to people yes. in terms of when they can see that. But I had to, especially when I started teaching at the graduate level, I was not prepared at all all for that. And the perfectionism also how it came to giving others feedback. What for me in my own workplace is as natural as breathing was not yeah. something that they really had had in their culture. So I really I had to unlearn some things for myself. And I actually had to use humor more early on just to help everybody relax a little bit without trying to sound condescending, but it's so difficult. So I know one of the things you and I are going to be exploring today that can be another really big challenge is when we lose some of that curiosity in our own teaching and yes. we start to sort of lose some of that spark for when we're teaching the same thing over and over again. And I'd like to start just by having you share a little bit of where you've seen this challenge show up for people. Yes. Well, great question. I found it occurring in myself. So I started off teaching actually during COVID at in higher education. So that was talk about a learning experience. The very first class that I did, the first day of class. And again, I have that perfectionistic mindset. Like I want to show up. I want this to be an amazing experience, even though it's Zoom and it's kind of wobbly and new for me. So I go to start the meeting and everyone, I have all my students show up on their little screens. And then I say, welcome. I'm going to go ahead and share my slides. And then I go to click and it says, you need to ask the host for permission. <laughs> to share your screen. Mm -hmm. This is like a three hour lecture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I'm asking, is anyone here the host? So talk about like, you know, just letting go of all perfectionism there. So everyone had to leave the meeting. We had to restart it. And gosh, that was just, that was the struggle from the very get go. So at the beginning, it was new in my teaching, right? So it was new content, even being on zoom was new for me. And I think when there's that newness, although there's some struggle, there are some challenges. I think we're more we're more apt to have that passion, right? Like you're learning alongside of them. We're all learners. But what happens once you know the content and you've you know gone through your syllabus and now this is the third or fourth or fifth, tenth time you've taught the specific course? 
what do you do with that? And I know that personally, after I had taught this course on Zoom a couple of times and then in person three times, I realized about the second or third time I had taught this course that I needed to get myself more passionate again about the content because it was getting a little dry. Mm -hmm. And this is not something that is uncommon. I talk to a lot of instructors and professors who find this as well after they've taught a class multiple times. Yeah, when I was in my 20s, I used to teach the same exact eight-hour Microsoft applications classes, and I used to look up a word in the dictionary in the mornings, just a random one, and then try to use it a few times during the teaching without letting anyone on. I'm not sure that's the best strategy, so I feel like you might have some better strategies than look up a random (laughs) word in the dictionary and try to use it. What's some of the guidance either that you've used for yourself or with other faculty that you've coached? Basically something that I found and that I've, you know, given this tip to other educators in higher education is build in a teaching tip time or whatever you want to call it. For me, I started off as it being the first five to 10 minutes of each lecture. And then eventually I kind of bumped it to 20 minutes. But basically this is the start of your lecture where you find content and maybe it's not something that's in the the textbook, something that you're currently really excited about in the research. Now, of course, it should somehow connect to your objectives and your standards for that class. But when you find something that you're excited about, maybe you just listened to a podcast or you just read some amazing research on the weekend about neuroscience take that first five to 20 minutes, if you can allow for that, to really expand on that and just let your students in. Hey, everyone, this is something that I've recently learned about and I am so excited to share with you. I always call it nerdy now. I've completely embraced the term as being a nerd. (laughs) I'm totally okay with that. But really being able to share that excitement with your students and it really helps you be a learner again. You're reminding me a little bit of Sarah Rose Kavanagh's book, The Spark of Learning, where she talks about just the importance of those emotions. And then some of the research that Daniel Goldman's done around just the contagiousness of our emotions. And if we've lost the ability to feel that spark ourselves, it's certainly going to be inflicted upon those people who were supposedly teaching. So that's great. And you think about all of the emotions we might bring in. You talked about something that's current, which is kind of sparking your curiosity, or is it humor? Again, we got to be careful that the humor and the things we're bringing in tie to the class in some way, like you you really pointed out to us, because that's Generally, people don't want to come to the class just to have the fun or laugh or whatever it is that we're trying to do. We do have to make sure that it ties. But yeah, that can be so helpful as well. Other thoughts around where we might either go astray when it comes to having that kind of spark in our own teaching or other ways we might foster it within ourselves or each other? Yes, great question. So there's something that I recently learned about. And it's, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Lori Santos from the Happiness Lab. Mm-mm. She's a professor of psychology at Yale University, and she has explored something called job crafting. And she's talked about how it's connected to building a positive work orientation. And job crafting is described as the act of redesigning the specific work you do to match your personal strengths and values, and thus amplify the sense of meaning you get from your job. And so how can we really reflect upon those two things, your own strengths and then your personal values? And when you're really clear on both of those, then that really allows you to not only enjoy your job more, but it gives you more of a sense of meaning. So not only do those, you know, nerding out, teaching research tips at the start, that certainly helps, 
But when you have a deeper sense of meaning, because you know your strengths and also your values, that's another tip that I give is to really hone in on that job crafting in your practice. Yeah, I like what that does for us in terms of recognizing the power that we really do have to shape things. I always want to be careful when we talk about it, of course, to not oversimplify it in the sense of there are also ways in which a system that we might be trying to influence is going to push back at us when we try to do that. So it's definitely a lot of both and. But even just reflecting, though, on what does give us that sense of meaning can really be a help to us. And we were talking earlier kind of about the infectious nature of our own emotions. I know you have some other advice to give us on how we might help spark the interest for our students and, and their own engagement in our classes. Yes. So that's so important, too, as you mentioned honing in our our students' interest and engagement. There's something called neural fatigue. And basically, it's like if you go to the gym and you're lifting weights and then your muscles start to fatigue, you have to pause to recover for a moment. That's what happens in our brain with our neurons. And so neural system fatigue, within five minutes of sustained activity, cognitive activity, neurons can become less responsive. And so that's why it's important when we think about learning and and all learning is brain-based, right? And so with our students, we want to be mindful of that neural fatigue. We want to be able to connect with them, kind of read the room. And then you mentioned infusing humor. And sometimes if we don't know the why behind doing a certain practice, we're less likely to do it. Like if your doctor says to not lift anything heavy after a surgery, I've made that mistake where I did. And then that was bad for my healing, but he did not say why. So when we know the why, the why behind infusing humor, infusing narrative, it, doing those things helps neural fatigue. So when a student's just about to zone out because they're distracted or their their brain's just fatiguing, when you're able to infuse some humor or integrate a personal narrative, even narrative about content in your in your class, for instance, in my lectures that I do, so I do human development and family sciences as well as education, and I have experience myself teaching kindergarten, and so I have some really funny and hard to believe stories about being and you know being an educator being an elementary educator and so when i can share a story that's tied to whatever content i'm teaching at the graduate level that can reengage their brains and so being mindful of their cognitive capacity and their attention span is so important yeah and i know another big part of that is to then Find out from them what's connecting and what's not. What are some of the things that you do to try to sort of turn that attention over to them and to find out what they're learning and what their experience is like? I do something called a keep, start, stop survey. And this was something that was suggested by Oregon State University where I teach. It was a great idea. And so a keep, start, stop survey is something that I do actually every couple of weeks during the term. But when I first did this, I did it after the second week, the middle, and then towards the end of the term. But I just made this as a Google survey and I send it out to students as part of our online learning at, you know, here's your reading And again, a reminder that you're welcome to click this link and fill out the survey where they can put, can you please start doing, you know, maybe more, maybe more work in small groups. Maybe it's more time to allow us to reflect or private reading time. So that's, that's start. But then the keep part, what do you enjoy about our lectures? What do you want me to keep doing? And then I put stop slash adjust. And so the adjust part, that's really important. That's a place where students can feel safe to say, can you try something else? And I want to give students permission to do that. And I think it's important to keep it anonymous. 
So that way they feel more comfortable. I also say, you know, you're welcome to include your name if you'd like me to follow up with you. And one of my students, she said in her survey, she put, you talk really quickly. (laughs) Would you mind slowing down the pace of what you're saying? And she was an English language learner. And I went home and I talked to Thomas who's my husband. And I said, can you believe a student said, I need to slow down a little bit. And he's like, well, you do talk very fast. (laughs) He's heard me on webinars and he's heard me when I'm doing these types of lectures. And I was able to pause and, you know, be reflective and, and realize, I think maybe I do talk a little fast, almost like an episode of Gilmore Girls. We're just going, right? We're hitting everything. And so that was helpful for me to be a little more mindful of how quickly I'm disseminating information and maybe to allow for those powerful pauses. When we started our conversation, we started with what are what is one or two of the differences that you see between teaching the really young ones that you, again, have either taught or taught other people how to teach and some of those with more years under our belts. And now I'd like to, before we get to the recommendation segment, just have you reflect a little bit on some of the similarities. What's sort of universal in teaching and learning regardless of age? Yes, that is an excellent question. So I think regardless of age, everything for me comes down to connection. I believe it's City Slickers where that one character saying, what's the one thing, right? What's your one thing? And I think that's helpful. And and that kind of almost ties back into what are your values and what is the one thing that is important to you? I recently did a TED talk and you have to kind of identify what's your through line. And so for me, that through line is connection, not only because it's a personal value, but because it's actually, you know, neurobiologically found in the research. So connection is so important. It's a fundamental need that all humans have with one another. And it's really at the core of motivation. So motivation is something that our young students really need to have to learn. And also how are we motivating our students who are in graduate school as well? And so I think, you know, with younger kids, some teachers do the Skittles or the stickers and when you're in graduate school, certainly that's not as not as helpful, but I do bring scones and muffins sometimes. I think food is just great across the board. It's, it's very helpful to have your brain feel nourished. But going back to the concept of connection, what are ways that we can help students feel safe emotionally, give them permission to express their feelings? And when we focus on the connection that we have with them, we're ultimately making them more successful for learning and we're building positive associations around school. And that's what we really want. We want our students to stick with it in higher education. We want them to graduate and we want them to jump into their field of wherever, whatever their field is and be motivated and inspired themselves. And so some ways that we can connect with our students is doing something called the three C's that I've established. And so the first one is to connect. So let's say, what is an example that you can think of, of a student who maybe was making a request, like you mentioned before, you had to give yourself a little bit of time. Is there something that comes to mind in terms of a student who maybe is a little dysregulated or you're trying to connect with? Oh, sure. (laughs) I think a lot of times this can happen at the start of a term or a semester where I, I need to remind myself of what it's like to either come back to or experience a totally new environment with all of those things. So I've, even as many years as I've done this, it's like, okay, 
this is a big it's a big deal and and i and i think part of that can be and you spoke about this earlier then how do we get them to engage to kind of let us know where they're at and this i suppose goes back to connecting once we can kind yeah. of get a better sense of where we're all coming into the space that can really help us be more effective i think yeah that's huge. I had a student who was telling me that she was feeling dysregulated and she felt, you know, there's there's too many papers that you're assigning. And she was kind of upset about the amount of work. And so I started off by connecting. I said, thank you so much for coming to me. And I, I can tell that this is upsetting or you're just acknowledging the feeling. Mm-hmm. I totally understand that this is this feels like a lot for you. Thank you for letting me know. So that's the first C, connect. The second C is to calm. So you want to make, you want to help their brain settle. So I said, I'm so glad you brought this to my attention. I'm going to think about this. And what about next class on Thursday? Would you come a little early and then we can connect about this? I want to make sure that we're both settled and, you know, we're feeling calm when we discuss this and I want to give it the proper attention. So just like you mentioned, it's important to give yourself time as well. And then when she came back to class a little early, I got to the third C, which is collaborate. So I was able to say, you know, in that that little moment, hey, thanks for checking in. And guess what? She was so much more regulated. Her brain was settled and she apologized. She's like, oh my gosh, Lindsay, I am so sorry. I had so much going on. My husband and I are on the brink of a divorce. And so I am just exploding all over the place on people. And I said, I get it. I totally understand. And I said, I want to collaborate with you. How can I make this work for you? You know, what can this look like in terms of helping you be successful? these papers or these assignments are important. So would an extension, would that be helpful for your learning? And she said, that would be amazing. Can I have like two extra days for that discussion post? And I'm thinking, wow, it was only two days she needed. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't that big of a request, but giving her space to do that, really that third C, which is collaborating is so powerful and important. So I think using the three C's, connect, calm, collaborate, with little little kiddos, adults, and it works excellent in partnerships. <laughs> Thomas and I use it all the time. These sound like good practices all around, and especially how interrelated they all are as well, because anytime we put it all on another person or take it all on ourselves is generally not the best way to go in a number of contexts like that you talked about. Well, this is the time in the show where we each get to share our recommendations, and I wanted to share a movie. I haven't shared a movie in a long time, and it is a movie that I probably shouldn't even be recommending because Dave, (laughs) I know next time he comes back, he's going to want to recommend it because I think he's seen it three or four times now, (laughs) and it is Top Gun Maverick. So many of us generations ago watched the first Top Gun, which I think was 30 years ago. Am I remembering that right? And then they they came out with another one. And apparently Tom Cruise has not aged a day (laughs) in 30 years. So I wasn't expecting to like it even as much as I did. It's just great. It has a lot of the same feel of the first movie, and but then also feels very current. It's got some great music in it and some great acting and adventure and really kept my attention the whole time. So I want to recommend and Top Gun Maverick for everyone's movie watching enjoyment. And Lindsay, what would you like to recommend today? Well, I would like to second that recommendation. I saw that in theaters. Did you see it in theaters as okay. well? Well, now that since you brought it up and now I'm ruining <laughs> Dave's future recommendation. So he went and saw it in one of those I don't know if it was technically an IMAX movie, but one of the ones that's really, really got this spectacular sound. He said yeah. that the seats were vibrating, even though they weren't designed to be vibrating, but just that it was so magnificent. He said, 
He literally wants to go back to see it again just in that one theater because it made such a difference. And he could see why apparently Tom Cruise hadn't wanted to release the movie until it could be out in theaters because it made such a difference. So now, Lindsay, I'm going to ruin this all for you. I saw it on our like 20-year-old TV, (laughs) 51-inch TV without very good speakers. And it was still good. But I do feel like he's, Dave says, like, you've got to see it in the theater with all the big thundering sound and that it was truly magnificent. It is amazing. And in my theater, people stood up and clapped at the end. Oh. And even in some of those, I know, you know, there's really powerful moments. People were clapping during the movie. I've never had that experience before where people just start clapping. So that was really powerful. Oh, and that makes me so think fun. about just the inspiration and enthusiasm of those who watch it. It's motivating, mm-hmm. right? Like it makes you feel more committed. Like, what am I doing with my life? How can I live it more passionately and fully? So I feel like that that movie kind of encompasses what we want to distill. I'm not saying that all of your lectures, your students have to end the day where they're clapping for you, but man, how can we just have a, a little of that essence and, and have that something we integrate? So anyway, that was, oh, I second I that it. recommendation. Oh, and my good. other one is Brene Brown book called Dare to Lead. It's incredible. And as educators, we are certainly leaders. And so that's a great book. And part of that book is the exercise of your values. So what are your values? I know I touched on that earlier, but sometimes when we just say, oh, find your values, that can be kind of vague. So in this book, there is a resource. Even if you don't read the book, you can just Google it. Daring Greatly Values Exercise. I think it's a two-page PDF, file print, and it has a list of a bunch of different values, anywhere from vulnerability, courage, honesty, authenticity, There are a lot of them. Adventure is one. And, you know, pick two to three values. When I first did it, I had like 20. (laughs) So I had to keep honing down and down. And then once you kind of get clear on that, you're able to realize, okay, what does it look like when I'm living within my values? What does it feel like when I am being in connection and relationship with other people? And, And I think that really helps you get granular with making that come to life, living within your values. And in doing so, you are really creating that that positive work orientation and getting more specific with crafting your job into something that you want to keep doing. You want to keep teaching for, I want to be like one of those professors I know that I had who was in his seventies. I think he taught geology back when I was doing my undergraduate. And I just thought, I want to be like him someday. He was still passionate even at, at, at that age. Well, I know that if people want to explore these topics even more that we just barely touched on today, you have another resource to share with them before we close the show. I do. So I, as I mentioned before, I'm a major nerd. (laughs) I'm part of a group people call us neuro nerds. So anyway, I love the brain and I have a podcast. And so I dive into these different concepts more deeply, like the three C's, ways to engage the brain, build collaboration. So if you want to learn more about these different concepts, you're welcome to check out my podcast. It's called the Positive Choices Podcast. And the word positive is spelt with a P-A-W, like you know, an animal's paw print. The reason for that at first, when I, when I named it, that someone said, is your podcast about like a dog, are you a dog trainer? (laughs) And I had to say, Nope, don't train dogs. I don't bathe them. Lots of confusion around that. The reason why there's a paw is because in the curriculum that I do for younger kids, the animal characters use their paws to do American sign language towards one another. And so there is that nonverbal communication. So it's called the positive choices podcast. And I just like to create content, whether you're a parent, an educator of, of younger grades, or if you're in higher education, there's just basic life principles and psychology that I think are applicable for everyone. 
Well, I will tell you, I didn't even bat an eye when I saw the positive spelled P-A-W because our kids at their school, they use positive. So there are positive exchanges and it's this type of <laughs> currency and all the, like all built into making those good choices. So you were already speaking my language when I saw that, but I could nice. see how I could see how dogs might come into some people's minds for sure, or some type of animal. That's so funny. Well, it has been so great connecting with you, Lindsay. Thank you so much for coming on the show and being willing to share a little bit about your experience and things that you've learned along the way. Thank you for having me. Today's podcast episode was produced by me, Bonnie Stahoviak, and was edited by the ever-talented Andrew Kroger. Podcast production support was provided by the amazing Sierra Smith. And thanks to each of you for listening to today's episode. If you have yet to subscribe to the weekly teaching in higher ed email, I encourage you right now to, well, unless you're driving, but, but you know, pretty soon to subscribe to the weekly update at teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. You'll receive the most recent episodes, show notes, as well as some resources that don't appear on the podcast episodes. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on Teaching in Higher Ed.